told a couple of people this morning, last night when I went to bed, I took a 10 milligram melatonin and it is still rendering its effect uh, through my energy level. Um, so let's get going. Uh, turn to in your Bibles, please, to Matthew 16. We're going to be in verses 21 to 27 today. Matthew 21 through Matthew 16, 21 through 27. I was a freshman, 1990, and I find my found myself having to drop a class because the class that I'd selected did not make. Apparently, was that uninteresting, um, and so I had to pick up something different. Uh, one class. Now there was no internet back then. So the way that you knew what classes you could take and where they would be located was on a brochure of classes and where they, a little summary of what they were and where it was a catalog. It was literally, they gave you a catalog. And, uh, and only our class school was really small, so it was like a brochure. And you would just, you know, and you would figure out what you would do. So um, I went, went through my handy guide and, and chose a class uh, called Sociology 101 with Dr. Paul Day because my class had been dropped. So this was day two, and I go to room such and such, and I sit down in the back of the class for what I assumed was day two of Sociology 101 with Dr. Paul Koistra, a subject I did not know anything about and a professor I had never met. So the class that I sat in and was having a, most of them looked older than me, now that I look back on it, and they had a very riveting discussion about a, uh, a, a story called The Cave, written by Plato, which I also had never heard of. No one took any notes. No one wrote anything on the board. The professor didn't really lecture. It was just this really interesting that I just, I just sat in the back and I just wrote down things that I heard. You know, words that made sense to me in some semblance or another. Um, just so that I could, after the class, talk to the professor and make sure I understood what was taking place in reality. So even though I had no idea what the words meant, I was writing them down. And so after the class, I approached the professor and I just said, What's, is this sociology 101? And he just laughed. You know, he's like, no, this is philosophy 400 and something, da 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 da, -da. <laughs> Sociology 101 got moved down here to the big lecture hall or whatever. So, like, perfect. You know, now I've missed two days of class. I am now confirmed as an idiot. Um, but for a hot minute there, I didn't look like one, which is almost better. You know, like, just being clueless but not looking clueless, I, it, it, it works for, for some people. I, in that moment, I had understood the words that I was hearing. Because I was just scratching them down. Like I could follow, or at least I thought I could follow. I just didn't understand their meaning. It was English. Nobody was using words that I'd never heard before. I just didn't understand their meaning. Okay. So last week, Jesus is with Peter and the disciples, and he confirms for Peter and the disciples that, yes, Peter, you're right. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of the living God. Okay. And then Jesus paints this really bright future for Peter and the disciples. The church is going to start with you guys. You're going to carry out its mission early on. You're going to be the leaders of the church. You're going to loose and bind and hold keys and all that kind of great stuff. But then right after that, right after that, Jesus says, but don't tell anybody who I am. Now, why would he do that? Well, it's in part because, I think I mentioned this last week, because the crowd... The people 
would not understand what that really meant. But it wasn't just them. The, the reason Jesus didn't want Peter and the disciples to tell anybody what they had come to know because of the Father is that Peter and the disciples understood the words, but they didn't understand the meaning. They understood the words, but they didn't understand the meaning. And this reality plays out in a conversation in 21 through 27 today. Let's read the text. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary, keyword, for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, scribes, necessary that he be killed, necessary that he be raised the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I don't know if you've ever done that. Rebuked God. And he said to, said to Jesus, Oh, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned and told Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but about human concerns. An insurrection is a human concern. A resurrection is God's concern. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? What will anyone give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each according to what he has done. This is the word of the Lord. There's a sense in which Peter and the disciples understand exactly what Jesus is saying when he says that he's the Messiah. And when he says in verses 21 and 22 that he must suffer many things and at the hands of the Pharisees and the scribes and, and so on and so on. There's a sense in which Peter and the disciples understand exactly what Jesus is saying, but there's also a sense in which they don't understand this at all. In other words, Peter and the disciples understand the words, but they don't understand the meaning. Because on the one hand, the disciples understand Jesus' words very well, because that's why Peter rebukes him. It's why Peter tries to dissuade Jesus from this very mistaken way of thinking that Jesus has. Lord, there's no way this is happening to you. Well, what do you mean this is what's going to happen to me? I mean, the thing that you said about the Pharisees and the scribes and the suffering and the, res and the, and the your crucifixion, that's not going to happen to you. Peter clearly understands the words that are coming out of Jesus' mouth. He just doesn't understand the meaning, right? When Jesus was arrested and killed, Jesus' death was a shock to the disciples. You, you, you will see this. They take off. Peter disavows any association with Jesus. Not one disciple understood at that time that it was happening the necessity of his death or anticipated the resurrection. Most of them refused to believe the resurrection even after they heard about it from the women. 
So the problem was not an understanding of words. The problem is that suffering didn't fit into their idea of what a Messiah would do. So that even though they heard the words, they could not figure out the meaning. Like everybody else in their day, they thought the Messiah would be this strong political figure who would drive out the Romans and once again establish Israel as a free and independent nation. They understood the word Messiah. They just didn't understand the, the meaning, right? So let's pause there and think about when it is when we're walking with the Lord and he gives us the word and we just don't understand its meaning. We interpret it playing out in a way that's just very different than the way he intended it. It is one thing to think that you understand something, but it is an entirely different thing to lecture people about how wrong they are when you're the one who is wrong. (laughs) And this is exactly what Peter does in verse 22, right? Peter hears Jesus say these things, and he, Peter pulls Jesus aside to rebuke him, and he says, No, Lord, this will never happen to you. Now think about the context that we're in in the whole chapter of 16, right? Peter goes from, You are the Lord, the Son of the living God. And then the moment Jesus says something that Peter doesn't like, he says, No, Jesus, I'm the Lord of your life. Jesus, Peter goes from, you're the son of the living God, to say, let me tell you how this is going to work, Jesus. Peter is declared God's mouthpiece for the church. And in the next breath, is declared the mouthpiece of Satan. Right? It's a very strong rebuke from Jesus. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Peter, you're going to loose. You're going to bind. You're going to hold the keys. Take a breath. Peter says something completely foolish because he thinks he understands the whole situation. And then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You are now a hindrance to me. Jesus goes from you're blessed to you're with Satan. He goes from I'm going to build my church with you to you're a problem child. Get out of the way. It's one thing to think you understand the words and then just kind of sit back and go, you know, maybe I don't understand everything here. I'm just going to sit. I'm just going to listen. I'm just going to kind of soak in, sit in the back, take some notes, be humble, model biblical humility, and see what Jesus is up to here. That's not what Peter does. He's been given the keys to the kingdom. He's, been, he's, been, he's going to loose. He's going to bind. And he knows what that means. He's going to be the right-hand man for Jesus when he comes into his political messiahship. No, that's the satanic understanding of how Jesus works. So, what, what I, the practical thing that I want you to see here is that I want you to take the long view. And I'll, I'll, I'll reinforce this at the end, but, but think about this for just a second. This, this overall thing that Peter's having to go through from way up here, I'm the king, and then down here, like I, I'm Satan. This is very concerning. This is very memorable. This is what we call a teachable moment in our lives, right? Where when you look back, you go, man, the Lord was really with me. <laughs> Even when it felt like maybe he was calling me Satan, <laughs> he was with me. 
Because remember Jesus' promise to Peter. You're going to leave my church. And if Peter's going to leave the church, what's he got to preach? What's he got to talk about? He's got to preach the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That's the good news of the church. So even though right in this moment, Peter is saying, you're not going to die. There's no way this is. And he came out of the grave. And so Peter's going to get it right, even though right now he's got it wrong. So I want us to sit and relate to Peter for just a moment because Peter's journey is like super intense. It's, it's a, it, Peter's life has got a lot of spiritual G-force of Universal Studios. If you've not ridden that one, take a chance. Okay, I survived it. I'm sure you will too. But there's a lot of G-forces in that and there's a lot of spiritual G-force in Peter's life. And while our individual levels of intensity do vary, every one of us is on a journey in our faith and our walk with Jesus. And so what I would just say to you is don't judge yourself or other people based on where you see them today. Because if you had been eavesdropping in on this conversation with Jesus and Peter, you'd think this is not going to end well for Peter. right? Or if you'd just been a step before, you'd think there's no way Peter's ever going to make another mistake again in his life. A lot of G-forces pulling and tugging on him, spiritually speaking, in his life. So let's just, we just, let's just take a minute, okay, and be patient with ourselves and be patient with one another. We don't need to be jealous of someone's great faith or derogatory about someone's weak faith. Right? We don't want to judge ourselves, or, and we're harder on ourselves sometimes than we are on other people. We want to judge ourselves or others based on where we are in any moment, but where we are going in a journey. This is why John Bunyan wrote a book called Pilgrim's Progress, not Pilgrim's Decision. Because it's not just a decision. It's a journey. So don't give up on Peter. I'm telling you, he's going to pull it together. I've read Acts. It's not a promise that I'm going through Acts. Weston, Amanda for texting me in the middle of my sermon last week saying, did I just hear you commit to going through Acts? Yeah. My watch is on silent now because you people text me when I preach. All right. Busted! Also, Siri likes to talk. Okay. So Peter's attempt to guide Jesus into a different kind of messiahship also had the potential to misguide the disciples. Because Peter's got the keys Peter's going to lose some bind. The disciples are get in on some of that action, but it's Peter. It's, it's very clear it's Peter. So when Peter, the leader, says, no way, when he starts to rebuke Jesus, that kind of potential, it has that kind of talk has the potential in that context to, to misguide the disciples. So Jesus took his rebuke of Peter, and he pulls everybody in. No, 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 I've got to die. He pulls all the disciples in, and he gives them verses 24 through 26 which effectively defines Christianity. It's a fantastic verse for defining what it means to be a Christian, this passage. Look at verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone... If he gains the whole world, yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give 
in exchange for his life. So when Jesus tells his followers that they need to deny themselves and and take up their cross and follow him, he's saying that those those three things, those items belong together as the total picture of what it means to be a disciple. Okay, so number one, self-denial. What does this mean? So self-seeking, self-affirmation is what led to the fall of Satan, (laughs) an angel, right? Satan said, I want my way. I'm going to displace God. I'm going to rule the universe. Um, And in response, God laid him low, okay? By contrast, you have Jesus whose posture is perfectly reflected in Philippians 2, 6 through 9. Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, but instead he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he'd come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to the death on a cross. And for this reason, God highly exalted him. Right? So denial of self is, is the way of Jesus because this is who Jesus is and this is what he did. Okay? And by the way, this is not new information for Matthew. This is how Jesus started his preaching ministry. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's who gets the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn their sin for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they inherit the earth. If you want to be a Christian, self-denial is, at the, very, is the very first step. It's the very first truth. It's the root of what it means to be a believer. There is no being filled with the Spirit of God if we were filled with our own spirit. There is no being used by God to make much of God if we're going to use our lives to make much of ourselves. Self-denial is, is a core characteristic of a Christian. Self-denial. Then he, Jesus says, take up your cross. You say no to yourself. To take up your cross is to say yes to the Lord. It's to live a posture of yes to whatever the Lord asks of you. Okay. We're not just to say no to self. We are to say yes to God. And that's what taking up our cross involves. You hear this phrase used wrongly in our culture all the time. Okay? Cross-bearing is not enduring something that you wouldn't otherwise choose. Okay? Like you, you marry somebody who's great, but maybe they're not convinced that flossing is such a great idea, but living with them is your cross to bear. Okay? Like, he doesn't, he's great. He's a, he's, a, he's a seven, but he doesn't floss, so he's a five. You know, that kind of thing. All right? That's not, but it's my cross to bear for being married to. Okay. No, that's not what this means. Okay. Cross bearing is a choice. It is your yes. It is willfully saying, yes, I'm going to take that up. You're putting it before me, Lord, to do. And I'm willfully saying, yes. And often it is difficult and gives glory exclusively to Jesus. That's a core characteristic of being a Christian. So cross-bearing is prayer. Cross-bearing is Bible study. Cross-bearing is giving. Cross-bearing is caring for the poor. 
Cross-bearing is willfully choosing to deny yourself time, money, and convenience. It is living, willfully choosing on a regular basis, sometimes minute by minute, to live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven before that kingdom actually gets here in all its fullness. James Boyce says, it is accepting whatever God has given us and then offering it back to him. It is saying yes. So we deny ourselves. We say no to ourselves. Christians say yes to God. Take up the cross. They say yes to God. And they don't simply do that one time. We follow him, Jesus says. To become a Christian is not merely to walk through a door. It is to begin and stay and finish a journey. Um, Psalm 119, verse 105. You all know this verse. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a... Now everybody knows 105, but do you know 112? That's how that section begins. But it ends in verse 112. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Isn't that something? So let's, I want to put, put the, these things together. Turn your Bibles over to Acts, <laughs> chapter 2. Let's put this together. Acts, chapter 2, verse 37. Peter is preaching to the, to the Jewish leaders and all the people who were there for the, for the festival, and he's preaching the gospel, and he's preached it, up until verse 36. And so all the people hear it, verse 37, when they heard the gospel, they were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, underline this phrase, Repent and be baptized. Each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Skip to verse 41. So those who accepted, underline that word, his message were baptized, and that day there were 3,000. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Do you see what's going on here? Jesus said, if anybody's going to come after me, then he needs to. He needs to deny himself, say yes to God, And follow me. Peter preaches the gospel for the first time. And they say, what do we do? And Peter says, repent. Say no to God. Say no to yourself. Excuse me. Say no to yourself. And then in verse 41, those who, keyword, accepted. Which means that not just, they don't mean it the way that we mean it in Southern Baptist culture growing up in the South. You need to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That is not what this means. What the Greek word means is they are going to walk in it, which is why verse 42 uses the synonym devoted themselves to it. So they said no to themselves, and they said yes to God. They accepted it as the new reality. This is where we are now. This is who we're going to be. And they devoted themselves to these things, the teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer in order to walk in this new way, to keep saying yes to God. Yes, 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 yes. This is what you do. 
This is what Christians are. This is what we do. So Peter got it. And Peter modeled the very thing that Jesus was preaching to him in this moment. Isn't that amazing? Peter was Satan. And Jesus taught the gospel to him in that moment. Explained it to him and his disciples right there. And then when the first opportunity arose to explain what was happening with Jesus' death, the resurrection, the coming of the Spirit, it was Peter who stood up and preached the gospel. He didn't earn it. He was chosen for the moment. It's beautiful. So what? Well, how and I, we have family, have a friend who is a 23-year-old, I don't know if that's millennial or Gen Z anymore. I don't know, whatever that, forever the line is. But she is living her best life now. You know, she's got a job and a side hustle and she's single and she's traveling the world. Like she's like one minute she's in Dubai, the next minute she's in Ireland. I don't even know how you can get that to those two places directly within 24 hours, but she has somehow manages. Like it's, it's literally every like dream thing in that, in that stage of life. And, but she loves on our kids really, really, really well. And um, she and Holly were having a conversation about family and getting married and having kids and all the joys associated with, with, with parenting, all the challenges associated with being married and not marketing it very well. Um, and so you might read this text and think, you're not marketing Christianity really well, Rob. Jesus is not, you know, convincing me that I need to do in order to follow him. He's not selling it super hard. If, if I think Jesus is actually understanding of that perspective, which is why we have verses 25 through 27. Jesus offers three incentives for why you should deny yourself, say yes to God, and walk in that way. Number one, you will save your life. Look at verse 25. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me, key phrase, will find it. If all we're talking about here is worldly influence, wealth, possessions, then the devil's offer might be really, really good. Because you can, in a sense, have the world, okay? And if, and if that's what you want, the only thing you have to do is just worship yourself, which is really just worshiping the devil. A whole other philosophical conversation. But people who worship Satan for the world that he offers are going to perish with him. If this is what you love, this is all you're going to get. Okay? And there's a sense in which you could live your best life now. But if you follow Jesus now, even though it requires self-denial and has difficult moments, what you end up with is eternal. What, 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 John 316, what, what John writes in John 3.16, say you have eternal life. Now, Jesus doesn't mean in that moment eternal in terms of length. which it's, it's outside of time anyway, right? The, the eternal life that's being described here is, is the quality of the life. It's eternal in the sense that it's whole and complete and beautiful and perfect. That's what you gain if you deny yourself now and say yes to God now and walk in that now. The path that you gain 
is, in verse 25, you find life's real meaning. You get a taste of it, you live in it now, and then you get you live in some of it now, the realities of it now, and then you have it in eternity. You have eternity for eternity. You have the quality of the thing that you're actually living in for, any, for eternal time. And then there's a second incentive. Verse 26, you gain eternity over the temporary. Like I just said, verse 26, what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world but loses his life, right? Your soul is more valuable than the whole world. The world is not without value. But your soul is worth more. The world's got a lot of cool stuff in it. God made it, but it's transitory right now. Heaven and earth are going to pass away, so why would you exchange something that doesn't pass away for something that does? That's why you deny yourself. That's why you say yes to the cross. That's why you walk in me, because the alternative is temporary. As beautiful as it is, as wonderful as it is, it will pass away, so you exchange it for the real thing. And there are rewards abounding. Look at verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will, oh, reward each according to what he has done. So those of us who follow Jesus now are rewarded by Jesus when he returns. Now, this is, uh, this is something that we're, I'm figuring out as a parent. At 48, it's probably about time. I get this right. Okay, now that two are almost done. One's done, one's almost done. Now I got two more to practice on. Okay. So we're, we're having this conversation about like allowance and motivation and all that kind of stuff. And I've, I have found that I've, there are kids who are really responsive to like, here are the consequences if you do the wrong thing. No mention of the reward or encouragement to do the right thing. There are just some kids who are like, well, I'm not getting in that trouble, so I'll just do whatever you tell me to do because I'm avoiding that, right? And then you have other kids who are like, you just need to love on them really good. And that's what they really appreciate, and that's what motivates and inspires them. And others, if you hold out this carrot over here, you say, now, if you'll do this, you'll get this right here. Am I, is this resonating with those? Okay, good. Okay, good. So one of the things that I've in other words, every kid has a currency. And I've discovered that my young kid's currency is currency. <laughs> it's a reward, and that's, that's what it is. I don't, there's, there's a, maybe it's my own upbringing, maybe the, the books that I've read, the authors that I've given myself to over, over the time. And, and I think it's the allure of, um, oh, like a prosperity gospel kind of stuff. Like there, there's, there's this branch of Christianity that I think in reaction and response to those kinds of things, they just think that Christianity should be very altruistic and idealistic. That, that, um, that the idea that you're going to be rewarded should not motivate you to walk in the way of Jesus. I just want to say that I don't think that's biblical at all. I think you need to think about heaven a lot more. I think you need to think about Jesus lighten up your good works and over and over again and how much that pleases him and how gracious and, and, and abundantly giving he's going to be to you. 
I think, I think that's exactly what Jesus intends to do here. There's plenty enough to be sad about. <laughs> you can think about the rewards. And he is the reward. But he's bringing something else too with him. I just think that's incredible that Jesus would throw that here. So why be a Christian? Well, because you're going to save your life. And you're going to gain eternity over the temporary. And, and Jesus is bringing all the gifts. He's bringing all the reward. That is why I would urge you to say no to yourself, to empty your spirit, to say yes to the Father day after day, and to continue walking in that forever. Play the long game. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge of Jesus to a disciple who was getting on a high horse really quickly. And thank you for, for the story of using him to preach the gospel later as a demonstration that you do not abandon, but that you are compassionate and faithful to, to pursue and love those who are your own. So we want to be a church who is constantly saying no to self and saying yes to you to do that which makes much of you and not of ourselves and to continue to walk in that way as a congregation. And we ask that you help us do it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.